morning. Delayed, but not denied. So can you remember a moment in your life? Let's just think about it for a moment. A moment in your life where you didn't know if God was going to show up. Maybe there was a situation that was really difficult, and you wondered, God, are you going to show up in this? Are you going to turn it around for your glory? Are you going to use it? And maybe for some of us in the room, we could actually remember that moment and we can think about how God did show up and how he did turn it around and use it for his glory. And what the enemy meant for evil, you see how he used it for his good, for his glory. And you can testify about that and we can praise the Lord with you and be excited with you. Can anyone have one of those moments in the room? Beautiful. And then I wonder if there's some in the room this morning that are on the other side of it. That you can think of a situation, maybe you're in that season right now, or maybe it's a situation from way, way, way in your past that you're, you're still waiting to see how God is going to show up. You're still waiting to see how the Lord is going to step in and turn it around. You're still waiting to see how he's going to use it for his glory. You're in that waiting season. And during this 21 Days of Hunger, we have these awesome prayer boards here where you guys have been putting your prayer requests on it. And on Wednesday nights, those Wednesdays that we've had together have been amazing. And during those times, we've been able to pray over those needs. And, and some of those needs, I wonder if they're needs that you didn't just think of in the month of January as you were about to get into the fast, that you were like, well, I'm going to fast, so God, I don't know, what, what could I... I don't know, what can I see you do now? No, I wonder for some of you if the needs you've put on these boards are things that you've been believing God to move and to do for, for a really, really, really long time. And for those that can testify that they've seen the goodness of God in their situation, they've seen him turn it around, I wonder if they would also tell you that there were moments where, where they were confused and and maybe scared, and maybe even questioning, God, are you going to show up? Are you going to move? And so that's kind of where I want to talk about tonight, from that place, this tonight, this morning, from that place. And there's this word called confidence, right? We all know confidence, right? It's the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. It's, it's a firm trust, so when we say we have confidence in the Lord, it's saying we trust him and we trust his ways. We trust who he says he is and we trust what he does. And the thing is, is I can say I trust the Lord with the things that I hold dear to me, like my family or my calling or my future or my finances and, and all of these different things, right? We can say we trust the Lord with that, but when we see things go not the way that we want them to go or the way that we thought that they should go, do we still trust him? Do we still trust him, church? The word of God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings, but in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. So do I trust that all my days are held in his hands? My, my dreams, my visions, even the words that have been spoken over my life, the promises, the prophetic words, but I'm not seeing them happen right now, but do I still trust him? Because I feel like I've been waiting forever. 
The Word of God says, right, that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. But I don't know about you, church, but I don't know if I want to wait a thousand years. (laughs) His timeline is just a little bit different than than our earthly timeline and, and what we understand, right, church? But to trust him is to trust his plans. It's to submit to him, to believe that he's got the best intention and best way and that my ways have to submit to him. But if we can be honest, if we can keep it real for just a moment, it's hard. Can anyone, or maybe I'm alone in that, but, but it's difficult. So this morning, we're going to look at a passage of scripture found in John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, you can jump on in there. And if you don't, I've put some of the scriptures on the screen behind me so you can read along with me. But in this moment, we're going to look at a situation. Can you say situation? Situation, yes. We're going to look at a situation where I wonder if the characters in this story that we're about to read felt some of these emotions that I'm talking about, waiting on the Lord and and wondering, God, are you going to even show up in this situation? Are you going to even move? And so we're going to look at their story, and, and maybe some of us can find ourselves in that story ourselves. So we're in John chapter 11. We're starting at verse 1, and here we go. It says, Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, just letting you know which Mary we're talking about here. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So this family, they knew Jesus. They were familiar with who he was, and and they had a relationship with him. He wasn't just some Jesus that they heard about in the distance that was walking around in the land. They knew Jesus. They had a relationship with him. So in their moment of trouble, right, when Lazarus, their brother, was sick, they sent a message out to him because they knew who to turn to in their time of need. They knew to turn to Jesus. And so they send a message out to Jesus, and I love that it says, the one that you love. So they don't even say Lazarus. They're like, Jesus, you know, the one that you love. He's sick. But that's all that the word of God tells us was sent to Jesus in that moment. So sick, the translation there is sick, meaning sick leading to death. It's not just a couple sniffles. No, it, it was leading to death. That kind of sickness is on the one that you love. But in the message, it doesn't tell us that, Jesus, the one that you love is sick, so you need to come back and heal him. No, Jesus, the one that you love is sick is the only message that was sent out to Jesus from what we are aware of. So I wonder when Mary and Martha sent that message out, if they had some expectations, though. Though it's not written here, I wonder if they had some expectations of Jesus... The one you love is sick, connect the dots, so that means you should come back and heal the one you love, right? Like, that would make sense to us. Can we agree on that, right? But that's all they say, because they've seen Jesus do things like that, heal people's bodies. So their thought is, he's going to do it for the one he loves, right? And we know he loves them. In the next verse, in verse 5, it says there, 
that now Jesus loved Martha, her sister Mary, and Lazarus. So he loves them. So that means he's going to come and he's going to heal him, right? That just makes sense. But what I love in that one verse that Jesus loved Martha, her sister Mary, and Lazarus is that each of them are identified. That that is the love that Jesus has for us. That it's not just I love you, but he knows us each. He knows each of our stories. He knows the number of hairs on our heads, right? He's involved in the personal details of our lives. That's the kind of God we serve. So it says that Jesus loves all of them. And then in the next verse, verse 6, it says, So when he heard that he was sick, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he ran to him right away. Nah. For those that know the word of God and can read the screen behind me, it says, So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Jesus gets the message that the one that he loves is sick, and he stays right where he is for two more days. But Jesus, do you not love them? No, he loves them. We know he loves them. The verse right before says he loves them. Sometimes I wonder in our lives if we question the love of Jesus because he's not responding the way we want him to respond. When those two things don't line up, Jesus, you say you love me, but you didn't move in the way I thought you should move. Jesus, you say you love me, but when I needed you in this moment, I didn't know where to find you. Jesus, you say you love me, but I feel really alone right now. Can we be honest in the house this morning? Can we be honest with our emotions this morning? Can we be honest with where we're at sometimes in this journey of following the one named Jesus? And here's the thing, with our emotions and what we feel, he's not shocked by it, and he's not scared of it. He already knows what's going on in the deepest, darkest parts of our heart. But this is where we find Jesus. In this moment, he hears the one he loves is sick, and he stays where he is for two more days. Verse 7 goes on to say, Then after that, he said to the disciples, Let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, Just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going to go there again? So two days have passed, and now Jesus is telling his his crew, Hey, it's time to go on over. We're going to go meet up with Lazarus. And his disciples are like, Whoa, 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 we can't go there. There's danger there. But yet in this moment, Jesus decides to draw near because that's what he does. He begins to draw near to us. He doesn't stand away as sometimes we feel he is. He draws near to us. And so in verse 17, we're moving along. It goes on to say, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days Lazarus has been in the tomb. So that number of four days is actually significant for the Jewish culture at that time. So there was this superstition, yes, like don't walk under a ladder superstition. I don't believe in that being unlucky. I just think that's unwise to walk underneath a ladder, right? But we all know superstitions, right? You see a black cat, you take a step back. I also heard this one that if you own a black cat, you're lucky. But if you see a black cat, you're unlucky. 
So I don't know how that works when you visit someone. I don't know how that works. But anyway, there's this Jewish superstition concerning death in four days. Um, is that they believe that when someone passes away, that their soul actually is hovering over their grave and over the body for three days, looking to come back. So when Jesus arrives on the scene, it's been four days. So that superstition is squashed. They know in this moment with all their fears and their thoughts, right, is that Lazarus is dead, dead. Okay? He's dead, dead. There's no hope of him coming back to life. So that's when Jesus arrives on the scene. And it goes on to say in verse 20, As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Two different responses there, right? Martha hears that Jesus is coming and she goes to him. And Mary, she stays in the home. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She's honest. This isn't a tone of accusation, though, and of anger. It's a, it's a place of Jesus. If, if you would have been here, things would have just looked a little bit different. She's just telling him how it is. And it's okay to talk to Jesus and just tell him how it is. Jesus, if, if you would have showed up a little bit early, things could have been just a little bit better. This is just where Martha's at. And then in the next verse, goes on to say, Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Yet even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Here's the thing. I want to point out a couple of things in that verse. One, whatever you ask of God. There's two Greek translations in the original text for that word ask. What Martha is using here is the ask that means that an inferior asking a superior for something. And in her mind, Jesus being the inferior asking God the superior for something. When Jesus prays and he asks the Lord of something, he uses another, there's, the word used is a different translation. And that translation there is making a petition with an equal. So Martha is at a place where she's not fully understanding who Jesus even is because she believes Jesus asking a superior. She doesn't realize the one standing before her is fully God and fully man that has all authority and all power. So that's one thing with Martha. The other thing with Martha in that statement is that she doesn't understand what Jesus is about to do. In the next couple of verses, it says right there that... You, this is what the Lord tells her. He says, your brother will rise again. That's what Jesus tells her. And Martha says to him, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection in the last day. So she doesn't even understand what Jesus is about to do. If you are new to the church, if you are new to faith and you haven't heard this story, I want to just give you um, a spoiler alert. Lazarus comes back to life, okay? If you didn't know that. Yes, Pastor Dylan, Lazarus comes back to life. So here we are in this situation where Martha doesn't even understand fully who she's talking to. She's talking to the one who is fully God and fully man. And also, we're in a situation where Martha doesn't even understand what's about to go down. She thinks in resurrection of, yeah, the last days, like, I'm mourning right now, but yeah, Jesus, yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, right now, it's about to happen, Martha. But even in that, 
Even in her not understanding fully who Jesus is and her not fully understanding what Jesus is about to do, she says, yet even now, I know whatever you ask of God, he will do. And you know what that tells me? It tells me she was saying, despite my disappointment, even now, when things didn't go the way I thought they should go, even now, when my brother is dead and gone, even now, as my situation is bleak, even now, when the promise spoken to me and what I've seen you do for others seems like you're not going to do it for me. Even now in my pain and grief, I trust you, Jesus. I trust who you say you are. Even in my pain, even when it feels like you forgot about me, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. I've got nothing else, but I trust you, Jesus. And Jesus then goes on to reveal who he is to Martha. We see that in the next verse where he reveals to her one of the I am statements, that I am the resurrection and the life. And he goes on to tell her all of these things. And then he asks her, do you believe this? Do you believe this? She says, yes. Says it right there in the word. She says, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Messiah, the son of God who comes into the world. Even when things didn't go the way I thought they should go, I still believe that you are who you say you are. I still believe. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. Man, I love that. The teacher is here and he's calling for you. See, Martha and Mary both knew that Jesus was on his way. Martha responds. Mary sits in her sorrow. And then Jesus sends a message specifically for her. Come. Be with me. Meet with me. I still want you to draw near to me. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. So Mary meets Jesus on that path. And Jesus is waiting at the same place where he had met with Martha. He didn't move forward. He just waited for the one that he called to respond. That's what he does. He calls us, and then he waits for us to take action and to move towards him. He's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on us. He waits for us to respond, and that's what he did. And then going on, in verse 32, it says, As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's in a place of mourning. She tells Jesus as it is. But there's also that faith statement there, because she knows that if Jesus was there, healing would have occurred. So she's not doubting his ability to do it. She's just saying, I wish you would have done it. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. Other translations say in that moment where it says that in his spirit, that he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Other translations will say that he was angered in his spirit and troubled. 
So the mourning process at this moment, what that looks like is people would surround the people that just lost someone that they loved, and they believed at that time that the more extravagant, the louder the wailing in the mourning, the more honor you were paying to the dead person's life. And so you can imagine the scene around, right, where Jesus comes into and and there's wailing and there's mourning, right? And it says here that he was troubled or, like I said, some translations say angered. And I wonder if that that place of anger and, and him being troubled was from a place of seeing what the enemy was using against the people he loved. Death. Death. And what it did to the ones that Jesus loved, where he sees them in pain, where he sees them in agony, where he sees them crying and mourning. And Jesus sees that and he's angered at the enemy. But then it says that Jesus wept. And what that shows me is that my Jesus, he draws near to me in those moments of brokenness. In those moments when I'm weeping over something. When I'm tired and broken and sad and mourning, he leans in and he he feels what I feel. He's not a God that pushes me away and says, Sandy, come on, know who I am, stand up, stop crying, get it together. No, he leans into those moments. He sees me in those moments. He empathizes with me in those moments. And here's the thing. Like I said, spoiler alert, Jesus already knows that he's going to raise Lazarus up from the dead. So he's not crying because he's mourning Lazarus' death. He knows what's about to happen. But he sees the ones that he loves hurting and broken. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was laying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Sometimes in these uh, Jesus depiction videos and stuff that we watch, how many of us love Chosen? Yeah, yeah, I know we are Chosen Church. So I, I don't know if they have a Lazarus scene yet. Maybe they do. I haven't gotten to season three. But sometimes in these Jesus depiction things, they, they sometimes show them a little too cool. Okay, and so I wonder when we read the word of God and we hear Jesus say, remove the stone, if we imagine him like stoic and and tough and he's like, remove the stone, right? I don't know. Maybe that's how you envision it. I did it for some time. But as I read the word of God and, and I hear how he was angered and I hear how he was weeping, I don't know about you, but I think about a man of God. I think about my husband when he's angry and there's tears and there's all those emotions. It's not pretty. It's not calm. And he's Hispanic, so there's a lot of emotion, okay? <laughs> yes. But I think about that. Like the, I think about Jesus in that moment, seeing the people he loves crying like that and angry at what the enemy is doing to them. And I think about him broken over the things we're broken about. And I imagine him coming and saying, remove the stone with authority and with power and with anger. Remove what's blocking what I'm about to do. Remove the stone. Remove the stone. Get it out of my way. And that's where Jesus is at. He says, remove the stone. And Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench. (laughs) She's honest. I love it. There's already a stench. It smells. 
He's been dead and in the tomb for four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Martha, remember the conversation I just had with you. Martha, remember, I am the resurrection and the life. Remember, you said you believe this. So Martha, watch out. You're about to see something. Remember. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe you sent me. Jesus isn't asking the Father to do it because Jesus has already had private, secluded moments with the Father where prayer has already happened, where the wrestling has already happened, where the tears have already happened, where the, the yes has already come. And now for the sake of those gathered, he says this to the Father, do this so that they can see that you sent me. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. Worship team, I'm going to ask you to join me up here. Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips, with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Come on, unwrap him and let him go. Jesus, he calls us by name. He calls us by name, right? Some have said that if Jesus didn't say Lazarus come out and he had just said come out, then everyone in that grave would have came out, right? But Jesus was very specific. He said Lazarus come out. And that's the kind of God we serve, church, a God that calls us specifically by name, out of our shame, out of our disappointment, right? He called Mary and he said Mary, come to me. The teacher is calling for you. Lazarus, he calls by name, very specifically. And I wonder this morning how many of us in this room, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are feeling him calling you by name. Maybe that looks like, as I asked you right as I began, to think about a moment in your life where you have a situation where you haven't seen God turn it around yet. And maybe he's brought that to the forefront of your mind. And you're asking those questions like where Mary and Martha were at before Jesus showed up at the scene. And you're wondering, Jesus, are you going to show up? Jesus, I saw you do it for others, but what about me? Maybe you find yourself at that place and you're wondering, Jesus, I done, I've done another 21 days of hunger. I'm going to come to celebration of praise, but just wondering when are you going to turn it all around when are you am I going to see you use it for your glory maybe we find ourselves in that place right now and that's a difficult place to be but I want to ask you this morning that while you wait where is your confidence where is your confidence there's this small book in the Old Testament Habakkuk minor prophet only three chapters and there's three verses in that that I just want to share with you and it says this though the fig tree does not bud that's bad <laughs> and there are no grapes on the vines that's bad though the olive crop fails that's bad 
and the fields produce no food, that, that's bad. And though there are no sheep in the pen, that's bad. And let's get a little bit worse, and no cattle in the stalls. So though there's a fire all around me, and everything that could go wrong seems like it's getting wrong, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. This kind of joy, church, it doesn't come in our outward circumstances that can burn up like fire. It doesn't come in things that will fail us. It comes in the Lord. So I wanna ask you this morning, where is your confidence found? Is it found in your situation that looks like it's going from worse to worse? Or is it found in God, my Savior? Because the next verse after that says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights because our God gives us the strength that we need. So our confidence is not confidence in ourselves. It's confidence in the God that is with us. It's confidence in the God that is for us. It's confidence in the God that never leaves us, the God that never forsakes us. So though I may not see it, and though I may not feel it, I trust in my God, the one that I read about in the Word, the one that has promises for me that are yes and amen. So come on, church, why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning? And as we think about those things that we haven't seen Him move in yet, I want to remind you, I want to remind you that the delay is not a denial of His love for you. That the delay is not a denial of Him fulfilling the promises that He's spoken over your life. That you would just keep waiting, church. That you would just keep trusting, church. Because there is a resurrection life that is available for us today. It's not just for the end times, which it will be a beautiful day. Come on, church. It's going to be a beautiful, glorious day. But there is resurrection power available to us today in the here and in the now. Our God is on the move. And so right now I'm going to ask you, I know we've gone over just a bit, but I'm going to ask you to lift your hands with me. Come on. Whether you're in that situation or you're victoriously out of it, I'm going to ask you to lift your hands. I'm going to ask you to worship your Father this morning because He's with you and He's for you. Jesus, we love you. We love you, Lord. Come on, in your own words, on this last day of the fast, would you begin to exalt your King? 